2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sakes, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are Eternal. <clears throat> that is the word of God. Allow me to this morning share the story of a man we'll call Steve. Steve was a young Operation Iraqi Freedom veteran who was depressed, and so he went to see his pastor. Steve explained to his pastor how he had grown up listening to his deeply devout Christian mother tell him that God had great plans for him because he had survived a difficult delivery at birth. Steve held on to that. And as Steve grew up, he had a deep respect for his country and for God. And so he decided to make a career of being a Marine. He wanted to serve both his country and his neighbor, and he felt the Marine, Marines were the best way to do it. Things were going great. He loved his job. Until one day, he was deployed to the Middle East. Steve's life changed when he suffered a traumatic brain injury when an IED blew up near him. As a result of the brain injury, Steve found that all he had hoped for in life needed to change. The brain injury manifested itself in unexplainable seizures. And so he was medically discharged from his dream of being a career military man. When Steve learned that his disability would not allow him to drive, he saw himself as unemployable to anyone. And finally, his depression reached a climax when one day his wife told him, you're not the man I married, I want a divorce. So Steve looked at his pastor and he said, 
All that I ever hoped for in life is gone. My career as a, as a Marine, my marriage, my identity as a contributing member of society, there is no hope for me. Now I'm back home in the house I grew up and I hear mother's words mocking me. God has great hopes for you. So tell me, Pastor, what is God's great hope for me? You tell me. I want to know. According to Anxiety and Depression Association of America, almost 75% of people with mental disorders remain untreated in developing countries with almost one million people taking their lives each year. Suicide is a major problem, not only nationally, but also in the United States Air Force. Worldwide, the leading cause of disability is depression. What mental health professionals label as major depressive disorder is the leading cause of disability for Americans ages, aged 15 to 44. It impacts more than 16 million American adults. While the disorder can develop at any age, the onset, the median age of onset is roughly 32. How does a person beat depression? Bigger question. <clears throat> what can you say to help a person who is in despair and depression? What do you say to a man like Steve? Who has brain damage, can't drive, is unemployed, and is facing divorce. Cheap words will not suffice. And no amount of medication can change his dire set of circumstances. We all know that. Now in the Bible, there was a man named Job who went through horrific suffering. In fact, Job's name is almost synonymous with suffering, even in non-Christian circles. And according to Scripture, this man lost his possessions, his family, and then finally his health. And at the height of his despair, he had three friends who said all the wrong things at the wrong time. We certainly don't want to become like those friends. If there was ever a person with the right to be depressed, it would have been the Apostle Paul. In serving Christ as a minister of the gospel, the man lived a severely harsh life. Listen to his own words found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure. To be honest, such conditions, I think, would probably warrant depression and a heavy dose of anxiety. Yet, this is the same apostle 
who cried out in today's passage. Listen to what he says. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Friends, I want to tell you that this man, although he suffered hardship beyond measure, was never a depressed man. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even in the midst of these dire circumstances. And to Christians all over the world, he still, his words still echo, Rejoice! Again I say unto you, Rejoice! How did he do it? I know that he wasn't depressed because in verse 8 it plainly says he was a man not driven to despair. He never went there. Notice how Paul triumphs. It is not due to the absence of adversity. You can never point a finger at Paul and say, you don't know what I'm going through. Paul could probably respond back, I know ten times more in terms of suffering. It was not due to the absence of adversity, but through and because of adversity. Read verses 7 through 9 carefully, and you get the spiritual portrait of a man who is an overcomer, a victor, a mental and spiritual conqueror. And here's the middle dollar question today. How was the Apostle Paul, a man who suffered so much, able to maintain such a resilient, optimistic perspective on life. How was he able to do it? And there's a threefold answer here. He believed in the plan of God. He believed in the love of God. And he believed in the reward of God. The plan of God, the love of God, and the reward of God. I'm going to extrapolate all three today. First, Paul believed in the plan of God. Look at verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So right there, the word so that, in the middle of that verse is the purpose clause. Do you see it? In other words, God had a plan for Paul's sufferings. That's why I'm highlighting that. God had a plan. There was a purpose. So that there's a purpose. Through Paul's sufferings and missionary journeys, the nations would hear the gospel of Christ and see it demonstrated through Paul's life. And you'll see Paul's trust in God's plan, demonstrated again in verse 17. Read verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing. This is not arbitrary. There is design and intent and purpose here. Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, Paul knew that there was no such thing 
like arbitrary suffering. Paul knew that his sufferings were part of God's plan. For the believer, every affliction has a purpose. In fact, every facet of life has purpose. It is not chance, it is not fate, it is not luck, it is not coincidence that you are here at chapel this morning, breathing and alive. God made you, He created you, and He has a plan for you. He seeks to fulfill His purposes for your life. In fact, every single detail of your body was prescribed by God. He intentionally chose your race, the color of your skin, your hair, all of your physical features. In fact, we could say that God custom-made your body just the way He designed it. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, God also programmed you with all the natural talent you possess today. Even your personality was uniquely designed by God for you to fulfill His purposes in your life, whatever those purposes may be. Now, because God designed you for a purpose, He also decided when you would be born and when you would die. In fact, God knows the exact hour and date of your death. (coughs) It's all been written. Jesus died at the age of 33 because His God-given purpose on earth was accomplished. New Testament writer says King David died when His purposes were complete. So it will be with all of us. God has predetermined the days of your life, choosing the exact time of your birth and your death. He's also planned where you'd be born and where you'd live for His design. Your racial makeup, your nationality, those are not accidents by God. And furthermore, it doesn't matter whether or not your parents were good, bad, apathetic, or unintentional about having you. God knew exactly that those two individuals possessed the, the, the right genes to create the person that He had in mind. You. Now at this point, I have to clearly state that God's plan takes into account human mistakes and sins. God certainly does not condone sin or evil. In fact, He hates evil. But what this means is that God is able to redeem any and all situations and use them ultimately for His glory and good. Listen to Romans 8.28. We know that that for those who love God, all things, not some things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So regardless of your past, The circumstances surrounding your birth or your losses in life, you can rejoice in the fact that God created you for a special purpose. God never makes mistakes. Listen to Exodus 4.11. And the Lord said to Moses, who made man's mouth, who makes the dumb or or deaf or the seeing or the blind, have I not the Lord? Often we think that deafness and blindness are outside of God's domain. Yet Scripture is clear. Even apparent flaws are intentionally made by God. Go back and read that text at home one day. It's right there. God creates all of us. Think about your unique abilities, therefore. 
But also think about your disabilities. How are you able to glorify God through all of it? Shared uh, earlier this week with a colleague I tried out for my college's uh, basketball team. And years before Jeremy Lin, I had dreams of becoming the first Asian-American position player for the Knicks. That dream was never realized. My college was merely a Division three school, but I was still cut from the team. It shows you how lacking my talent was. But no matter how hard I practiced and no matter how hard I trained, I soon realized I lacked some of the unique physical giftings necessary to be a successful basketball player. And though disappointing at the time, those shortcomings helped me focus on my strengths so that I could focus on God's true purposes for my life. I'll give you another example. Back in 2016, it was announced that theologian J.I. Packer, at age 89, will no longer preach or write after being diagnosed with macular degeneration in his right eye. <clears throat> According to publishing group Crossway, this popular author of the book Knowing God, many of you might have read the book, has published so much in his lifetime that it is impossible to compile a bibliography of his writings. Why did he have such a liking for books and writing? Well, the answer might surprise you. See, J.I. Packer grew up reading books instead of playing sports or running around outside like the other boys because at about age seven, a schoolyard bully chased him into a busy London road where he was hit by a bread van and knocked to the ground. He sustained a serious head injury and has, till this day, still a noticeable dent on the side of his skull ever since. And as a result of his injury, the doctors prevented him from playing any sort of sport. And so his, he turned his attention to books and to writing. He took his childhood accident in stride and saying that it is part of life and went on to become one of Christianity's most prolific writers. And looking back, he admits God certainly used that to shape his life. Certainly God has his purposes for even life's disappointments and disabilities. Be aware of that. Blindness and deafness and disability does not escape God. He's in charge of it all. So this brings me to my second point. Paul overcame because he trusted in the love of God. Friends, nothing dispels despair and depression like the overwhelming love of God. Jesus was able to endure the shame and agony of the crucifixion because he trusted in the love of God. <clears throat> he knew that his father had an ultimate plan, even in the midst of excruciated suffering. And the Bible says that long before he made the foundations of the world, God had us in mind and predestined us in love. You see, with God, nothing is haphazard. Of all the Air Force bases in the world, this base in particular ought to know about our unique place in the universe. When we look out into space, we realize that this planet, planet Earth, was uniquely created. It is unique in its ability to sustain human life. With all of its breathtaking beauty and sights, God uniquely created this planet out of his love 
for humanity. And one scientist observed, all the evidence available in the biological sciences supports the core proposition that the cosmos is a specially designed whole with life and mankind as its fundamental goal and purpose, a whole in which all the facets of reality have their meaning and explanation in this central fact. Wow, that is amazing. Think about that. God created the entire cosmos with mankind as his fundamental goal and purpose. That is amazing love. And in his love, God has given us a reason for living. If there is no God, life would have no significance. To be brutally honest, that's true. In fact, suffering would also have no purpose. We would be right to be depressed. Furthermore, there would be no heaven or hell, nor good, no good or evil, no right or wrong. If there were no God, you could make up your own rules because life would be one big meaningless existence and physical death would be the end of it all. But there is a God. And not only is there a God, but this God loves you. Look at every sunset. Look at all the smiles on the faces of children. Your parents, your spouse. Taste the sweetness of a mango. All of these things exclaim God's radiant love for you. But ultimately, I want you to look at the cross. Because when you look at the cross of Christ, when you hear the gospel you also hear God's amazing love. Nothing declares the love of God like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the gospel? Some of you sitting here may have never heard it before. It's four essential points. First, there is a God who loves you, but He's also a holy God of justice. Second, we are all sinners. By nature, we are sinners. We've broken God's commands. And as a result, when we die, we deserve hell. The fires of hell are reserved for sinners. And we justly deserve God's wrath when we die for our sins. But point number three, this is good news. God so loved the world, He sent His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, and then He died on the cross for you. He took your place on the cross and paid for your sins in love. And on the third day, He historically resurrected from the grave. So that point number four, if you would repent, you need to repent. Repent of your life of sin, of adultery, of homosexuality, whatever your sin is. Repent from your sin and put your faith in Christ as your Lord God and Savior. The Bible promises you eternal life. That's a promise. And at that very moment, you're born again. You become the object of God's amazing love, eternally secure to live with God in this bliss called heaven. The gospel declares the love of God. Finally, my third and final point. Paul was able to conquer depression and despair by trusting in God's coming reward. This is important. <clears throat> often when I'm down, I look to this, and I tr this, this keeps me going. Verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction, which has the ability in a lot of people 
It has the ability for, to cause depression in a lot of people, right? For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. In other words, they're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, let me exposit this a little bit. By labeling his affliction as light and momentary, Paul is not making light of his sufferings. He's not. You read the list of what he went through, you, you quickly realize this man went through a lot of suffering. <coughs> Instead, what Paul is doing here is he is rightly in, magnify, in magnifying the reality of heaven. So in other words, he's not making light of his sufferings, but he's magnifying the reality of heaven. Having seen the reality of heaven in a vision, Paul knew that one day in heaven, his reward would be so great that it would make all of his sufferings on earth seem minuscule in comparison. That's what's going on here. He's not making light of his sufferings. He's exalting the reality of heaven. And when looking back in eternity, he will look back at his sufferings and say, that was nothing compared to what I'm experiencing in heaven. I want you to listen to me carefully here. Life, when life has eternal significance, when life has eternal significance, you can bear almost anything. Without meaning, however... Life itself is unbearable. It's a chore even to get out of bed in the morning. The greatest tragedy is not suffering. Paul would be the first to tell you that. He would tell you, don't feel sorry for me. The greatest tragedy on earth is not suffering. The greatest tragedy on earth is a life without meaning, a life without purpose. That makes life unbearable. So what are you living for this morning? You know that hope is essential to your life as oxygen and water is to biological life. Hope is the antidote to depression. Even unbelievers are making this discovery. Dr. Bernie Siegel found that he could predict which of his patients would go into remission. By asking a simple question, do you want to live to 100? Those with a profound sense of life purpose answered yes and were the ones most likely to survive. The Apostle Paul lived with his sights set on an eternal reward. In verse 18, Paul reminds us that the invisible rewards of heaven are going to produce the greatest warriors on earth. Paul crushed depression with the triumphant hope of an eternal reward. The joy of living in the presence of Christ forever destroys depression. And I want you to listen to me carefully. Living to create an earthly legacy is an incredibly short-sighted mission. Within two generations... This is a fact. Within two generations, if not less, most of us will be forgotten by our own family line. Most baseball fans can't even remember the last five World Series MVPs. 
And given enough time, all of our trophies will be trashed by those who replace us and outlive us. In military, a change of command or retirement reminds us that life will move on without us. Instead of living for an earthly legacy, live for an eternal legacy. Crush despair, anxiety, and depression through God's love, God's plan, and God's coming reward. And at the end, focus. Focus, 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 because it's so easy to lose focus. One of the the purposes of you coming to church, my job is to remind you to focus on Christ, on what could have been a very distracting week. Live life focused on Christ, on the eternal invisible instead of the earthly material. Live life focused on that. I know that people who don't know their purpose in life often try to do too much because they think activity will create purpose, right? But this causes stress and conflict and fatigue. So I want to close this message with the following illustration on the power of focusing. Unfocused light is diffused light. It has very little power. It has very little impact. But when we concentrate its energy by focusing it, it becomes powerful. With a magnifying lens, the sun's rays can be focused to set grass or dry leaves on fire. And when we take it up a notch and focus light even more as a laser beam, it can even cut through steel. It is that powerful. Is your life focused? Paul's life was so powerful because he lived with a singular focus. So stop trying to do it all. In fact, do less. Do not confuse activity with productivity. Nothing diffuses depression like purpose. Nothing gets us out of bed like living for an eternal goal. When you lose your eternal purpose in life, you truly become depressed. Life seems meaningless. You go through emotions. And nothing helps us focus like reminding ourselves that soon and very soon, we're going to see the King of Kings, who himself was focused beyond measure. A number of years ago, I stopped by my brother's office. Uh, he's, a, he's also a pastor. And I stopped by his office, and I saw in his office a poster. poster only had one word and a sliver of a picture. The word was focused. And the picture was a painting of just eyes. But I knew that the eyes belonged to Christ. I knew because you could see the thorns emerging at the top of the photo. And you see the blood trickling, but you see in the eyes an intense focus. A Savior who had his eyes set on the cross because he loved you. Nothing was going to deter him from dying for you. And so I urge you this morning to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Remain focused to his gospel, his mission, and his call. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you today for giving us a life that could have tremendous